live in a dangerous and unpredictable world. Markets turn and economies crash without warning. Staying ahead of the investment game is more difficult than ever. Join me, Alameen Templeton, every day between 7 and 8 p.m. on Business Matters for concise news and analysis of important events that are shaping the world, your life, and your pocket. You snooze, you lose. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to this, another edition of Business Matters with me, your host, Alameen Templeton, on this wonderful day of Yomul Alithneen, Monday. Uh, another week is behind us, a very sad day, I must say, with Ethiopian Airlines crashing, taking 195 people's lives. Well, uh, aviation authorities all around the world are scrambling uh, to try and figure out if there's anything wrong with the, the Boeing, uh, it's a 737 uh, X model uh, that uh, it's apparently very easy to train pilots on uh, and it's trying to roll out this model all around the world uh, but in Thailand a few months ago f- uh, six months ago uh, the Boeing similar model crashed shortly after takeoff here today another one has crashed shortly after take well yesterday another one has crashed shortly after takeoff um, that's a major problem. If there's a design fault, uh, Boeing is going to have to go back to the drawing board and do something about it, and there's probably going to be a whole lot of legal uh, implications as well. So airlines all around the world are having a look at their latest Boeings that they've bought. And, uh, well, anyone who travels regularly by plane will appreciate the air traffic authorities' uh, efforts in this regard. Uh, the the air traffic control authority here in South uh, Civil Aviation Authority, as it's called here in South Africa, it says it's uh, it's in communication with South African Airways and Comair, both of which have uh, similar models, uh, have the same model, uh, as part of their fleets. And they're having a look at that. Comair says that it's agreed it's it's taken this model off uh, off. Um, offline uh, while uh, they double check it and triple check it and uh, waiting for an all clear an international all clear hopefully will be given uh, in the meantime uh, Boeing shares have, have crashed today um, well I suppose people are really not uh, are wanting to get out in case there are going to be ramifications and so yeah we have to wait and see what's going to be happening with all of that uh, news coming out today IO uh, the, um, the 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 software company, which is at the middle of a storm uh, at the Public Investment Corporation, uh, says that it is going to defend tooth and nail <clears throat> uh, the determination by the uh, CIPC, that's uh, Copyright and Intellectual Protection Commission, which is basically the old company registrar, uh, the company registrar uh, ten, around about 10 days ago <clears throat> announced that it had made the decision that IO will have to repay its um, 4.3 billion rand uh, that it got from the PIC uh, because, well, basically they made the decision because uh, IO is valid, the, the amount of money, 4.3 billion rand, that the PIC gave to buy, I think it was 20% of IO in 2017, uh, was in actual fact, uh, couldn't have been logically made because um, that would uh, value IO at 14.8 billion rand, although, and it's only got assets of around about 292 million rand, 
Well, the CIPC went ahead and made the order that IO must pay the money back. <clears throat> so now IO today announced that its shareholders are hereby notified that on the 7th of March, it has on an urgent basis approached the High Court of South Africa, Gauteng Division Pretoria, for an application to interdict the CIPC from enforcing the notice issued to the PIC's Board of Directors uh, last week in terms of one section one of the Companies Act to interdict the PIC from acting on the notice or taking any further action in connection therewith. That's in order to take the money back, pay the money back. They say, no, we're going to fight this. So shareholders are also advised that IO has applied to the above court to have the notice issued by CIPC set aside. IO maintains that the uptake by the PIC of its listed shares through a private placement in December 2017 was fully transparent and complied with all the necessary legal requirements. It says it will defend any action which seeks to undermine IO's contractual rights through that 4.3 billion rands. When you've got 4.3 billion rands, it would seem that you hold on like a drowning man when someone suddenly someone wants to take it away. So uh, we'll be watching that particular issue very closely. Um, of course, IO has very, got very close connections to Iqbal Server of uh, Second Jalo and independent newspapers coming under all sorts of stick from all of the opposition and media houses here. Very odious media houses as well, may I add. You know, it's a bit like um, uh, a wolf um, snarling at a hyena and saying you're a dog. It's a bit like that when you have uh, one of our media houses in South Africa taking aim at another media house. Um, I must say, with Iqbal Surf coming over, I, w- I was very happy. I was very happy with that because I saw it as, uh, as breaking what was a very old schoolboy old boys network in the old media news newspaper houses. Um, uh, and he did. I mean, he, he broke up that old boy network. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, for me, anyways, uh, he hasn't uh, turned out to be the best kind of uh, media house boss that you could have. He's been too interventionist. Uh, he is, uh, there's, we can't say that there's editorial independent, uh, independence at the independent newspapers, not so long as his business report editor, Adri Sinekal, the vet, continues bringing out these kind of articles. Oh. They're really horrible. They give you like the shivers to to, to read them. They're so obsequious. Um, uh, they're so obviously like you know just merely trumpeting uh, the master's voice. Um, that if that's the boss of the newspaper who's willing to go down on her knees uh, uh, every time, you just know that anything else coming out, the newspaper's got to be treated with uh, well, uh, well, it's it's very sad to see. Um, but, uh, well, was independent newspapers ever really independent? I must say I worked there for many years under Tony O'Reilly and in the previous regime during apartheid. Um, and we had to fight tooth and nail every day to get, like, decent news into the newspaper. Editors were conservative as anything, all those white conservative guys. Uh, and they, they they really held their own after 1994. They didn't back off um, most of the black uh, senior editors that got through and uh, became advanced, you know, fast track and all of that kind of thing. In New South Africa, I mean, they just turned out to be exactly the same as the previous white editors. Didn't see any real kind of difference. Ah, uh, well, so, you know, in a way, uh, 
Iqbal Serva had purchased a poison chalice. Uh, decent independent journalism in South Africa does journal, just journalism exist. My second rule of journalism is there's no such thing as journal, journalism doesn't exist. Because uh, no one can be really independent and someone coming to, claiming to be a, a journalist and demanding special press freedom rights is in actual fact hiding behind a rather shabby coat. Uh, anyway, right, uh, ESCOM appears to have misled Treasury regarding uh, the quality of coal from Gupta, uh, from the Gupta Tegeta mine in order to secure a 2.9 billion rand contract back in 2017. Today, Gerd Oppermann, a coal supply unit manager at ESCOM, was given evidence uh, before the State Capture Commission. And he said he took over management of the coal contract at Brockfontein Colliery in Pumalanga in April 2015. It was owned by the Gupta Mining Company, company to get uh, exploration and resources. He testified that in 2016, ESCOM and Tegeta wanted to increase the amount of coal Brockfontein supplied to Majuba Power Station. He said there had been problems with the quality of the coal from Brockfontein because it's got a relatively high sulfur content. Uh, it gives it that yellow, dirty, dirty, very smelly coal. Uh, you know, it's not like anthracite coal, which is like the coal that we export over to Europe. Uh, and we now, it would appear, we're starting to use in our own power stations. Uh, so anyway, Oppermann testified he twice received phone calls from former ESCOM executive Machela Koko instructing him to accept a substandard call that was not compliant with the contract. And so they also misled Treasury regarding the quality of that coal. And uh, that was put into the boilers and the boilers burned very dirtily and then they had to be scrubbed and causes all kinds of problems. The coal is not up to standard. And then, of course, they started delivering wet coal. I wonder if the wet coal was just an excuse to try and cover up the dirty coal. Yeah. Uh, PIC VBS, a former PIC executive, Paul Magula, who was implicated in the financial saga of the collapse of VBS Mutual Bank, is seeking to clear his name, but it would appear he's not doing a very good job. He says... Uh, I want to accept responsibility for what happened at VBS, but it wasn't my fault. <laughs> he wanted to come to the commission to clear his name. So to name, he came to the commission and he said, yes, yes, I was the former executive head of risk compliance at the Public Investment Corporation. I also sat on the VBS board as the PIC man in April 2018. He was fired from his job for incompetence following the internal disciplinary process. Anyway, so Magula rocks up at the uh, at the PIC commission today and uh, said he had never participated in any illegal, fraudulent activities during his time as a VBS board member. He says, as a VBS board member, I take responsibility for what ha was wrong. But he stressed there was no way he could have known what was happening. <laughs> Uh, incompetence hearings aside, because beyond the misrepresentations made to the board through audit, report, audit reports that were presented to me as a board member. So he got the audit reports, and uh, he could only go according to the audit reports. He didn't have the competence to question these things. It should have been some like sort of big elephants kind of wandering into the room, or sometimes wandering into his bedroom, or wandering into his house. Uh, because you see... Um, According to City Press, between December 2016 and February last year, he got 4.8 million rand mortgage from VBS Bank. 
that's very nice. Um, I didn't see any conflict of interest there whatsoever. And of course, he also re received 5.5 million rand from B VBS's major shareholder, Vele. He didn't see any uh, conflict of interest there either. And uh, he's come to the, the PIC Commission today to say that he accepts full responsibility, but none of it was his fault because he didn't know what was going on. Yeah, that's the guy who was fired for incompetence. And uh, he has now put it on record that he accepts full responsibility, but it wasn't his fault. And thank you for the 5.5 million rand that Vele gave me. And that's for that 4.8 million buck mortgage from the bank. I wonder, he's probably hoping he's not going to have to pay it back. Um, and then there's another employee who also gave a testament to the, well, no, sorry, it's the same guy, Paul Magula. He said that uh, the Public Investment Corporation breached its own memorandum of incorporation when Dan Matila, the executive officer, also combined his position with the chief investment officer position. So he said that now you've got the chief investment officer and the chief executive officer uh, all now sitting with all these powers under one man. And he said that uh, due to all of this, all other executives or executive heads became demoted and had no say in decision-making within the PRC. They just had to do as they are told. Right, well, that's Dodge. On to Boeing. Dow futures showed the index likely to slip at the open after the Sunday crash of its 737 MAX. With the U.S. manufacturer the biggest component of the gauge, Boeing shares were down more than 9% in pre-market trading as China grounded flights involving the model. China, Thailand, uh, there's another country. They've all shut down the model. Uh, other airlines are taking decisions on an airline-by-airline -airline basis and probably national aviation authorities are also uh, trying to make a decision going forward. Shouldn't wait for too long, I would think. Uh, it's extremely litigious out there nowadays. Uh, Nissan, Renault and Mitsubishi today say that they plan to form a single board that will oversee the alliance's governance and operations as they try to streamline their decision-making following the arrest of Carlos Ghosn. Uh, he's, of course, facing uh, claims that he under-reported under his salary to Japanese taxation authorities uh, to the tune of around about 80-something million dollars. And uh, as such, he's now fighting uh, uh, tax evasion uh, charges in Japan. Uh, it caused a major problem uh, because, of course, this is, uh, this is an alliance between two different countries. And, of course, Renault and Nissan and Mitsubishi are like sort of national brands. You know, they're not just brands in their own, but they're also brands for the, for the country. And uh, so there's a lot of land, national pride on going over here. Carlos Ghosn, I think, is actually he's, uh, he's Lebanese. He's not French. He's actually Lebanese. But he was Renault's man. And when he took the helm, he did a really fantastic job. Everyone around the world said, wow, Carlos Ghosn, he is the man. And uh, he really was. He strode the world stage like a colossus, and he was thrown into jail like a criminal. Uh, and so, of course, uh, Reno started asking questions there. Is this, this, is this just trumped-up charges here because uh, Japan has decided they want to pull out of our agreement? Uh, a lot of questions being asked all around the world. Shareholders must have been very worried uh, because, you know, you've got all kinds of intermeshing of uh, operations and so on and uh, if you try, start trying to undo that kind of relationship probably every single one of the parties of that um, 
of the adventure are going to be worse off as a result. Uh, so anyway, the announcement today would appear to uh, cement in the three companies' determination to go forward together. Uh, Renault said talks on a new structure are taking place. The group will replace two separate Amsterdam-based alliance entities, Renault Nissan BV and Nissan Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi BV. People familiar with the matter said uh, Renault Chairman Jean-Dominique Senard, who will probably chair the new committee, spokespeople for Nissan and Mitsubishi declined to comment. Uh, so it looks as though this is rather largely being driven by Renault. The three automakers will hold a joint press conference tomorrow to take us further on on that on in on this issue. So uh, we'll hopefully get a little bit more clarity tomorrow. We'll be able to say, well, is this uh, determination, is this unity coming through, or is this something that's basically been spearheaded by Renault to try and save something? Uh, because if it is the Japanese trying to pull out, or well, they're certainly making all the right kind of noises, aren't they? Oh, well, auditing problems at uh, Tongot Hewlett, the sugar maker today. Shares fell more than 14% early today after it announced last week it had appointed Price Waterhouse Coopers to review past accounting practices. It flagged last month that it would fall to a full year loss as traded at its lowest level since 1993, 14.8% down at 18.75%. This morning, Tonga dropped to the low since January 94 in the second day of declines after it warned that certain practices, so we wait to hear and find out what these certain practices are, have been discovered that could lead to a restatement of earlier financial information. Um, it's been a tumultuous few weeks. The shares plummeted 20% on February the 22nd after it warned it would post a full year loss. Latest issues were identified as part of a wide-ranging strategic and financial review of the company. It's uh, working on a turnaround of strategy. It said on Friday it's told staff to preserve all information, all documents, for the, and to cooperate fully with the PwC team. So exactly what it is that has gone wrong, well, we wait to see. Um, it dropped to 18% today, following a 28% decline on Friday, is down 65% this year. So maybe it's actually starting to approach um, uh, buying values, if you if you want to put it that way. Um, on the on the on the wider JSE today, um, it was looking pretty good. Yeah, the JC All Share finished up in the green. Well, only just, you know, as you go through the day, you're hoping for a 1% gain, but, uh, well, the retrace those later on in the day is now 0.17% that the All Share Index, the top 40 index is up at 0.31%. Uh, percent. Uh, the RAND is up against the dollar, um, 14.34. It's down against the pound. Uh, the Friday's close, it's on 18.85. Oh. Oh, well, last week it was over 19 in one stage. Uh, it's 16.12 against the euro. Got a slight claw back there against the euro. And gold is on 1,292 rands 48. Shares on the JSE most looked at today, uh, attracting the most uh, most uh, views on, on ShareNet's website. Aspen is uh, the number one. That's a drug drug manufacturer, the generic drug drug manufacturer that's run into a whole lot of problems, and they're having to make a whole lot of sales in uh, of subsidiaries in order to reduce debt. 
Uh, it's gained 1.8% today. It's the most watched share. Steinhoff, our old regular, it just doesn't go away, does it? On one ninety nine. Tongart, because of all of its pros, uh, problems today, is the third most watched share. And Old Mutual also brought out sort of his okayish results. Old Mutual Africa now, as it is. Of course, it's no longer the old mutual group that we that South Africa sent over to go list in London to access all of that wonderful capital over there that they couldn't access because they're here in South Africa. What a lot of tosh! So all I can say, um, they went overseas so that they could break up the group, and now they have broken up the group, and now we are left with our South African business and a few little branches in Africa, and that is what old mutual is today. It's uh, it's U.S. insurance business is gone, and it's got a whole lot of uh, trading operations in Britain and Europe that are now also gone. But nevertheless, uh, well, I think its its earnings were twelve twelve percent down over the last year, but it's still got a very strong dividend outlook, and uh, so it only lost five point five percent, which isn't bad. You know, they know how to buy off their shareholders there with a good old dividend sweetener. Um, also, there's a big share buyback going on. Uh, they've returned, I think they said, 52 billion rand over the last 10 years to shareholders, but we'll get we'll get onto that a little bit later. Um, <clears throat> top movers in the upwardly direction. Um, uh, I, I keep on, can't remember the name of that television company that uh, belongs to Naspass, Multi-Choice. Multi-Choice, MC Group. MC Group is uh, was the biggest gainer today, 5.76%. Oh, that's very interesting. I wonder who's buying those shares. Uh, is it Naspers buying those shares? Mm, is that an, 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 a mean thing to ask? MMI Holdings, that's the insurance uh, uh, company. Uh, no, 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 that's just MMI. MMI Holdings, they, in actual fact, uh, an investment uh, company. Uh, they they gained 5.73% today. CML, the food maker, is up 3.75%. MTN, fourth biggest gain on the JSC today, up 3.37%. And RCL, another food maker, is up 3.2%. Uh, Old Mutual, biggest lose on the day, down 5.46%. Sibanye, uh, lost 4.94% today. Anglo Gold, also down 477 Tours down 4.05 and Sanlam down 3.88. So interesting to see uh, the insurers there. Um, on, to, on, on to other news. Um, as we say, Marafi, uh, the ferrochrome uh, um, and mining company, it's got uh, several smelters that's pooled uh, its uh, smelters and um, marketing operations with Glencore. Uh, operate five ferrochrome smelters, 22 ferrochrome furnaces, and eight mines. Uh, so that's a big uh, consumer of ESCOM electricity situated in the northwest Limpopo and Mpumalanga provinces. Uh, its revenue for the year, year decreased to 5.6 billion rands from 5.8 in the previous year. So it's down EBITDA low to 1.3 billion from 1.7 billion. And from profit and comprehensive income for the year fell to 683 million rands from 914. But they did declare a dividend uh, of uh, 115 million rands to divide it by the shares. That works out to be six cents uh, a share to holders of ordinary shares. 
Um, they believe that the stainless steel production and global GDP are going to be picking up this year. I don't know where they get that GDP picking up this year, but they say stainless steel production is forecast to grow this year. I have seen other people saying that stainless steel production is forecast to grow, mainly thanks to um, China's uh, China's efforts. Uh, with the Indonesia's contribution uh, to the stainless steel industry continue to become more meaningful, by that they mean the Indonesia operations. They reckon uh, that is going to underpin projected growth in demand for ferrochrome and uh, their joint venture with um, uh, Glencore uh, will enable it to take advantage of expansion in the market. Locally, ESCOM remains a key risk factor for the venture in 2019. With all of those furnaces and smelters, I don't doubt it whatsoever and good luck to them. Old Mutual, total revenue from continuing operations life insurance um, went down to 109.9 billion rand profit attributable to equity shareholders jumped to 36 billion rand from 14.4 billion rand so there you see and they really know how to sweeten it for the shareholders continuing operations down to um, 209 billion rands from 175 billion rands then you go and take all the money out of the kitty and you just go and throw it at your shareholders bloom uh, so, so last year when they made 175 billion rands from continuing operations, they only had 14.4 billion rand available to pay out to shareholders. This year they got 36 billion rands, and that's all for almost it's it's nearly half. It's around about 60 uh, percent lower than the previous year. Furthermore, headline earnings a share grew to 306 cents from 283.7 cents a share in the previous year. Um, on a segmental level, uh, Old Mutual says they're encouraged by strong flow securing corporate and operational improvements in Old Mutual Insure, a mass and foundational cluster and personal finance, folks and driving further growth. The growth, they remain on track to, to deliver 1 billion rands in recurring expense savings in 2019 and to grow expenses within inflation thereafter. So they say we're not going to go backwards. But I don't know, maybe they actually have gone backwards already, uh, but they're hiding it very well. Old Mutual posted a 12% drop in adjusted full-year profit, missing its 2018 targets. Also announced a 2 billion rand stock buyback in a bid to placate shareholders, following all an almost one-third drop in its share price since it listed on the JSC last year. Um, it used to be listed in South Africa and England, uh, but it sold off its U.S. asset manager. It sold off its well. It's broken these into different different companies now. Uh, got nothing to do with each other. I don't think anymore. Uh, I don't think there's a holding company. Uh, a British wealth manager and of course uh, Old Mutual Africa. It's now one of four separate entities that executives said would fare better alone. Wow. Someone made a lot of money out of it. I don't think it was. Um, I don't know what the thing was, premium holders. Uh, they're struggling to pay their premiums this year. That's uh, currency devaluation weighing on its operations in Zimbabwe. Um, the bottom line was also hit by weaker results from operations, which missed the company's own growth target. 
Um, share buyback brings the money returned to shareholders since becoming a standalone entity to 52 billion rands. Total distribution includes 28 dividends, dividends of 117 cents a share and around 40 billion rand proceeds from the spin-off of a portion of its stake in Nedbank, one of four units that was hived off as part of the breakup. APSA also brought out its results this year. Uh, I don't like to kind of like um, blow the trumpet of uh, Reba merchants. Um, banking is one of South Africa's biggest problems. Uh, I've said before on the show, I reckon it's the tradability of the RAND, which is an actual fact contributing to its volatility. Maybe, uh, maybe regulators should actually look at finding ways to slow down uh, the tradability of the RAND. Maybe actually do, do do our country a big favor. Suddenly just start making uh, uh, something that will just slow down just a little bit. Here we go. Make uh, the, the currency traders jump through an extra little hoop so that they can't use their ultra-fast, super-speed computers in order to crash the rand every time um, one of our politicians misbehaves, which is a regular basis. But anyway, um, APSA net income for the year increased to 43.75 billion rands, slightly up over 2017 of 42.64 billion rands. Um, a profit attributable to equity holders was recorded at 13.9 billion rand from 13.8 the year before. Headline earnings a share, uh, 1,703.7 cents a share versus 1,724. So it's slightly down headline earnings. Uh, shareholders advise ordinary dividend of 620 cents an ordinary share was declared. Uh, well, that's very nice. But uh, I, I like looking at the, at the bank results some more to look at uh, the economic prospects going forward. Not that they were always accurate or that this is the way things are going to be, but it does show you the market bias. Um, it does show you how people are lying about the economy. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that APSA lies about the economy. No, never. They wouldn't do something like that. They're not Goldman Sachs. South Africa's economic growth outlook for 2019 appears relatively modest, says ASPA, Ab ABSA. They see only tentative growth for consumer spending of 1.5% with probably more downside than upside risks. Uh, they believe that consumer remains constrained and business cons confidence tentative. Forecast GDP growth this year of just 1.7%. Uh, ESCOM challenges are the one key uncertainty for this year, as is the global environment. Uh, the European Union, the OECD, all coming out with lower expectations in terms of GDP for the year going forward. Um, job uh, job creation in the United States last month was only 20,000 new jobs in the whole of the United States were created for the whole of February. Well, I suppose I could say, well, it's, it was only 28 days in February, but, but 20,000 jobs for the world's biggest economy. Uh, sure, it kind of like makes you think. Uh, Twenty thousand sounds as though somebody like pushed them just above the the, the, the negative mark, as though someone in the um, the stats department in the Department of Labor in the United States reckoned, well, okay, well we'll uh, we'll just ignore those twenty thousand jobs that lost in the steel sector uh, up the, up the Motown City, and we'll just massage the, the the figure slightly upwards so it doesn't look as though we were losing losing uh, employment in February. 
Usually, like, you know, there's over 100,000 jobs created in the United States in a month. In February, only 20,000 were created. That's, uh, that, that, that is worrying. It's not like, you know, I like to go out and battle, bat for the United States, which has, like, basically taken over the helm of Nazi Germany of the 1940s. The United States is the new Hitler. Um, or maybe Saudi Arabia is. Um, it's difficult. I don't know. Maybe it's Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, yeah, we've got some really horrible leaders around the world nowadays. Um, it shows you Western civilization. In fact, it might already have collapsed. It's just a matter of realization needs to set in. Um, no longer is democracy providing stability. No longer is democracy providing economic prosperity. Um, no longer is voting enabling the wishes and uh, protecting the interests of the masses. It's no longer working. It's not happening. It's not working. You've just got corrupt officials coming in. You've got billionaire representatives taking over the government, pushing a billionaire's agenda. What happened? And uh, then, of course, you know, the populism waves, like you get idiots like um, Donald Trump uh, in charge of the United States. Um, that really is a worry, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, Western civilization is not working anymore. All of those things, like the free market, it's not a free market anymore. United States will steal your gold reserves. You'll give them to somebody else. And they'll say, now our democracy has elected uh, a leader for your country, like the Raul Guaido of, uh, of Venezuela. They've stolen Venezuela's um, gold. Um, they stole Muammar Gaddafi's gold. Um, you know, I reckon, you know, South Africa, with all of the gold that we produced for the world, more gold came out of South Africa than anywhere else. And uh, how much gold does our reserve bank have? We've got $5 billion worth of gold. That's all, $5 billion worth of gold. I mean, it, it's, it's really pathetic. Countries like Romania have got like 100 and something billion dollars worth of gold. We've got $5 billion. Huh? We're a real, like, sort of um, chappy economy. Hmm? Oh, we really, um, basically, uh, Trevor Manuel's uh, period at the home of uh, his finance minister and Tito Moweni when he was the head of the Reserve Bank. Now he, now Tito Moweni is the finance minister. That was when South Africa actually moved on to, we, we, we moved on to the corner. We moved away from Main Street. We moved on to the corner. And well, now we're the rent boy. We're the rent boy. You know those boys who stand outside drug houses trying to look tough, but in actual fact, they're just there to sell their bodies. That's what, uh, that's what the South African JSE has become. We were once the, the, the 12th largest um, stock exchange in the world. Now we're among the top 20. I don't know what that means. I don't know if we're number 20, if we're still number 12. Wouldn't surprise me if we actually are still number twelve, but because uh, the international wire agencies always like to try and talk South Africa down, um, now we are we're one of the top. We're one of the top twenty. We're no longer the twelfth biggest. Well, I don't know. Maybe we still are, but uh, we are, the way we, the, the way they talk about us nowadays, we're among the top twenty. We're no longer the top twelve. Now, apparently, Nigeria's got a bigger economy than ours, although all that they produce is oil, oil and oil slicks.
<coughs> well, they've got over 120 million people there. Um, and we've only got 57 billion, um, 57 million. Uh, but hey, you know, uh, population size doesn't determine economic size. And uh, da, da, I'm very, still very suspicious about that. And suddenly Nigeria is the biggest economy in Africa. Very suspicious about that. But uh, anyway, as we go, uh, what does APSA have to say about our economy? Uh, they say ESCOM challenge is the big key uncertainty, as is the global environment. Beyond the election, they say the economy is likely to remain a challenge for fiscal policy, that is for the government to find the money to spend on its programs, necessary and unnecessary as they may be. Uh, but it does say they expect the Reserve Bank to leave interest rates unchanged for some time. Yeah, well, for that some time, it's probably for the duration that the United States Federal Reserve leaves its interest rates unchanged. As soon as the Federal Reserve changes its interest rates, then we're going to have to change our interest rates, irrespective of the economic conditions in South Africa. Monkey see, monkey do. That's the economy that we've got. And you know, Trevor Manuel likes to present himself as some kind of like worldly hero, but he was the one that put us onto the corner took us off from the house, high street, put us onto the corner. And basically, uh, uh, they did that at the same time as uh, un unveiling Asgisa. The accelerated shared uh, infrastructure investment program for South Africa. Uh, and uh, the way they intend paying for it, uh, and intend uh, sort of continue subsidizing our trade deficit, our major trade deficit, because they had to buy a whole lot of stuff from overseas uh, for their infrastructure investment program. Uh, that, that started, I think it was on about 2007. That ran out of steam pretty quickly. Construction companies in South Africa in all kinds of trouble in the doldrums. The yellow machinery standing still, not doing much. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the reason why, well, we're the rent boy. We raise our interest rates. We keep an interest rate differential with the United States. We maintain, we've got 6.75% uh, interest in the United States. Uh, did I see 2.5? Yeah, 2.5% in the United States, which is actually much higher than Europe, which is still on 0%. But anyway, it's fantastic then, you see. It, uh, it results in what they call the carry trade. You get all of these old age pensioners and all these kinds of creepy kind of people who go and like follow the big guys and see where the big guys are going. And every time the big guys go and do something, they try and follow. Uh, so anyway, they do the kinds of things like uh, used to be the preserve of billionaires. But as the hedge funds started coming out of the markets and as the big hedge funds started losing staff and those staff went off and started opening up their own, their own uh, trading companies. So they go and look for more and more and more customers. In the 1990s, you sure saw a big phenomenon where uh, Americans started taking their pension funds and investing it on the stock exchange. Uh, most of those people lost their money. Uh, and uh, pension funds all over the world are facing a major pension funding, pension funding gap because uh, after the 60s, when people had fewer and fewer children, uh, you suddenly got a whole lot of elderly people from the nine born in the 1950s and 1940s who now are no longer productive uh, in America, especially in Europe and Japan. Uh, they outnumber by three to one uh, the younger generation <clears throat> in South Africa. 
I think something like 40% of our population is under the age of 30. And that's uh, a very different situation in Europe. And um, well, the United States has, has been very good in terms of it's allowed immigration, which Donald Trump is now getting all angry about. But immigration has basically been the United States' saving grace. They've got a whole lot of cheap labor there. They've got Haiti just off the coast uh, that they've turned into a, like a, um, a sweatshop, an American sweatshop, cheap labor. Um, and so they, they, they've been able to keep their manufacturing costs slightly down. They've been able to subsidize their pension funds with a lot of younger workers. Europe doesn't have that, and doesn't have that luxury. And that's one of the main reasons why you have this human trafficking uh, so big into, into Europe. And now it's, it's, it's not because some guy with a speedboat or, or, a, or a bucky in, uh, in the Sudan suddenly decides that uh, he's going to get a whole lot of people and take them off to the Mediterranean coast and uh, they're going to try and uh, risk life and limb to try and cross the Mediterranean to get a job in Europe and they don't know anyone in Europe. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. What happens? You see, it's the reverse it's a reverse process which is happening. It's not the bright light. Well, the bright lights of Europe are very attractive and they do glitter brightly, uh, especially if you're in Africa, in South Sudan, for instance. Um, but what happens is a manufacturer in Germany or France or somewhere like that, he will say, well, you know, um, I'm trying to produce these widgets of mine and uh, my workers are just costing me too much. Uh, they want to have trade unions, uh, they've, they've French workers, I mean, they've got to have their brie, they've got to have their ghee, they've got to have their frog's legs and, uh, and their red wine and all of their fancy things. So it costs a lot of money to keep a Frenchman worker alive. So if I can get someone to bring me some uh, workers from Africa, I know a guy, he's got a truck, I'll pay him money. And he pays that money before that guy even starts on his Germany out of the Sudan or, or Mali or Niger or wherever it is. That guy's already got his money. He's already going to be taking these guys to a specific place. And those guys are talking with the business owners and they're going to distribute the people. There's a whole people distribution network, a kidnapping network. It's like a return to the slave trade. Uh... Europe likes to think themselves as civilized. Um, but in actual fact, it's the need to keep their wages down that is resulting in these people coming into Europe. They're not being drawn there. They've been brought there. Those German manufacturers aren't kind of like, you know, oh, there are, um, an African rocked up on my doorstep today and I decided to give him a job. No, he went out. He said, I want those guys. Oh, they get them from Thailand, or they get them from Eastern Europe. They live under appalling, terrible conditions. Uh, so anyway, that's why they go across. That's why we have human trafficking in the world. It's not just the desperation of the people in Africa. It's the desperation and the greed of the people in Europe that is in actual fact driving it. It's the main driving force. It's the need. They can't, they can't lower their wages. They can't, can't bring them down. They can't compete with China. The only way that they're going to be able to do it is by getting African migrants to come in, Syrianas and so on, to come in and work in their factories for next to nothing. Got no protections. Uh, probably in the country illegally, uh, can't have recourse to government or the courts, 
And it's a, it's a really win-win situation for the businessman and the trafficker, but for the person who's having to do the job. And then, you know, they get so angry when these, these, these wretched, wretched of the earth, as uh, Fanon would call him, the wretched of the earth, they, uh, they want to send their money home to their family. Oh, no, no, you can't do this. You can't send your money home. No, we're losing money out of our country. No, no, this is a terrible thing. It mustn't be allowed. In those countries that have paid them such miserly salaries, wages, they don't want them to, allow, to, to send their money home because now it's affecting that country's balance of payments. Germany is a very big complainer about this kind of thing, especially with Turkey. And I really, I mean, that's like, it's horrendously greedy and completely... Uh, impassionate. Is that a word? Impassionate. I have no passion. I have no feeling. I have no compassion. Yeah, well, anyway, what does ABSA say about the country's prospects? They say beyond the, the election, the economy is likely to remain a challenge. They expect the Reserve Bank to leave interest rates unchanged for some time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's why I was talking about the migrants and so on. So, so greedy uh, pensioners and investors in Europe, especially Europe, is a good percent interest rates a bit like Japan, as well as the United States have got very low interest rates. So they take a loan in their country with their loan interest rate. They bring it over to South Africa. They invest in high, our high interest rate environment. So you get single stock futures where instead of taking the dividend, you can invest in the interest rate. Uh, and uh, they've got several other other um, instruments which have come out in the last few years as well, um, which do which play a similar role. Uh, so you can you can win on an increase in the underlying stock. Hopefully it does. You pick the right stock, and uh, you you win on you 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 like guaranteed profit um, the the interest rate differential. So you've got. If you're coming from Europe, you've got a 6.75% guaranteed profit out of this deal. And when you've got a growth rate around about like 1% to 2.5% uh, in Europe, that's a major thing. It's a really big thing to get 6.75% uh, uh, locked in right at the beginning. Well, then it really encourages people. They bring their money into South Africa. They invest in the stock exchange. And so all of this money coming into South Africa, pooling for a little while, uh, and then returning to their country, that pooling allows us to pay off our balance of payments, our, our trade deficit. So we've always got a trade deficit because we're always importing oil and we're always importing uh, technology and um, machinery. Uh, and so... So we're able to get to pay off our deficit in, in this way. Well, well, it also means that ordinary South Africans then, in order to keep the stock exchange companies very happy, we then have to put up with a very high interest rate of 6.75%. And uh, our, our Reserve Bank is going to increase or decrease those interest rates, not according to uh, the economic performance of our economy, not according to the intrinsic needs of our economy. Like uh, last year in November when they increased interest rates, it was, it was just on the back of, uh, of two negative quarters of growth. We were in, slipped into recession. And then we increase the interest rates. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense at all. It really it boils my blood. 
Um, you increase interest rates to cool the economy. That's what they always said in the old days. Isn't it amazing how suddenly they forget what they used to say? You need to cool the economy because um, you've got uh, irrational exuberance, as uh, Alan Greenspan would call it. You've got irrational exuberance. These consumers are going out. They're taking unaffordable loans. The banks are issuing unaffordable loans. And uh, and so to, to provide a crash to keep as close a match between the actual value production and the credit extension in our economy, we're going to have to increase interest rates to uh, disincentivize our uh, consumers from taking out more interest. So we raise interest rates to cool down the growth, to cool down the economy. Like does the South African economy need to be cooled down? That is a nonsense. That is a nonsense that we have to put up with. People lose their houses, they lose their wives, they lose their husbands, they lose the respect of their children. All because we need to maintain an interest rate differential with the United States. And that works in the interests of who? So now do we have independence at the Reserve Bank? Where is the ordinary voice at the Reserve Bank? What kind of independence are they talking about? when the Reserve Bank can make such a nakedly aggressive move against the ordinary South Africans in this country. Is that independent? That's not independent. We don't have an independent Reserve Bank, and we've never had an independent Reserve Bank. Probably no one ever has ever had an independent Reserve Bank. As soon as you say the word bank, you speak in riba, you speak in theft. Yeah, you speak in murder, you speak in war. Yeah, interest rates and war. Economic fortunes of countries rising and lowering. Uh, that's a terrible way to manage an economy. Um, inflation targeting, raising and lowering interest rates is a very, very blunt instrument interest rates are. I mean, if you have a look at it, it takes, it takes <clears throat> six months uh, for top-end items, the big-ticket items, to uh, be affected. They're always the first to be affected. So your new car sales, six months after increased interest rates, your new car sales will come down. New car sales. So that's like the, the richest of the rich are then uh, constrained in their spending. But everything else takes between a year and 18 months for it to affect consumer patterns. Huh? A year to 18 months is the average time it takes between an increasing interest rates and a, um, a matching decline in uh, credit extension. So people will stop taking loans a year and a half, a year, a year and a half after the interest rates were increased. So the Reserve Bank governor is only going to be able to affect the economy in a year and a half's time. So uh, there's no ways uh, that if you find your country uh, economy is starting to overheat and we need to do something now, well, I'm sorry, but interest rates are not going to do anything now. So you see, it, it's, it's uh, an ineffectual weapon. It's a weapon, really is. It's a weapon against ordinary people. It is a weapon against our heads, against our pockets. Depends on where your brain is, I suppose. Um, yeah, so interest rates take a year and a half to have an effect. 
So, like, what kind of economic intervention, what kind of management of the economy are you having? You're not having any management of the economy whatsoever. It's not management. It's just enrichment. It's taking people out of profitability and throwing them into poverty. That's what it means when you raise and lower interest rates. It has, you could say, in actual fact, that raising and lowering interest rates has none of its intended effects. None. None. None whatsoever. But as Tietan Bowen, he said in 2008, well, it doesn't make sense, but it works. Yes, it does cool down the economy, Tito. It does. It kills people. Murder also works, you know. If your neighbor is making noise late at night and you take out a gun and you shoot him dead, then you can say, there, you see, that works. He's not making noise anymore. But is that the way you want to be a neighbor? If everyone does that, what's going to happen to the country? I suppose you could say in terms of Catch-22, well, now it would be foolish to think any other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so back to APSA's forecast uh, for the South African economy. They say in the Africa region's market, they forecast GDP growth of 5.9% against 1.7% here in South Africa, the powerhouse of Africa. Well, I mean, you could say that uh, those other economies are coming off a very small base. It's very easy to grow a small base. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, 1.7%. Our, our economy could be doing a heck of a lot better. South Africans are clever enough and educated enough. And we've got all the resources here. Our system is sick. Our system is messed. Our system is messed because we have a Western system here in South Africa. Have a look at what's happening in America. Is it surprising that the same thing is happening in South Africa? Have a look at what's happening in Europe. Is it surprising that the same thing is happening here in South Africa? Um, it's not like we've got the worst politicians in the world. Look at Benjamin Netanyahu. Look at Israel. Look at Nazi apartheid Israel. Uh, which one of their presidents in the last 20 years didn't end up in jail? Really, I mean, uh, go and Google it. Google it! That's what they always say, Google it. Uh, how many former Israeli presidents end up in jail? Benjamin Netanyahu, again, is also. His son, also corrupt construction industry. Shach Shirak. Now there's an indication, maybe even the Joburg may Herman Mashaba. He's announcing a whole lot of uh, construction rehabilitation things, going to be spending a whole lot of money. Uh-huh. Well, obviously, he decided to loosen those purse strings before the next round of local elections come up. Um, is it indicative of uh, confidence for May? Well, you can make up your own mind. Uh they say infrastructure investment, improved mining output and agriculture in Africa could help support growth in 2019. Global uncertainties will continue to weigh on the RAND inflation and interest rate outlook in the region. I suppose the region, they mean Africa. Based on these assumptions, ABSA says excluding any major unforeseen political, macroeconomic or regulatory developments, they expect stronger deposit growth this year and it should exceed our loan growth. Deposit should exceed... Well, deposit growth should exceed loan growth. Uh, well, um, loan growth is not supposed to exceed deposit growth. If it does, then you've got irresponsible lending. It's an indicator, I would think. But anyway, they, it's, it's supposed to work that way. You see, the amount of deposits you've got determines how many loans you can make. It depends. 
your deposit book determines the size of your loan book. Your loan book is allowed to be 10 times the size of your deposit book. In South Africa, I don't know, it's 10 or 12 times. In America, in some places, more than 30 times. So you've got a billion rand of, uh, of a customer's money in your, in your vault. Then you can issue 30 billion rands worth of loans. Can you imagine if you run into a tiny little bit of trouble? Immediately you're going to have no money and all of your, your clients' money is going to disappear. Such is the nature of fractional banking. Well, that's it. Enough for today. Jazakamallah for joining us. I make dua that whatever trading activity you got up today has been profitable and above all halal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Subhanallah, <laughs> Allah,